in the context of say finance, right, there's always this future forward looking uh, prospect, right? How to make more in the future. If I do this now, I'll get times 10 in five years time, right? Or double my assets. One of the fundamental problems with that is if we overdo it, right? We will never be able to live in the present, mm. right? And we are almost like just living in the future, but the future has not happened yet, mm-hmm. right? So for example, well, I realized that I need to work three jobs just to buy the private condo in five years' time. But that compromises my present quality of life. You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hey guys, and welcome back to the BFF Podcast. Our topic today is about mindfulness in personal finance. How much is enough? And today we have Honey, founder of The Mindful Village, a growing online global community that aims to help its members connect with like-minded seekers and qualified guides and elevate their overall well-being and equip themselves with resources to navigate this busy world with resilience and grace. Welcome, honey. Thank you for having me, Jonas. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what MBSR is about? Sure. My name is Han Yi. My background is in sports and performance psychology. Uh, so my work is really premised on understanding the conditions where people can thrive and excel mm-hmm. and really figuring out how to sustain that. So it's not just elevating performance, but to sustain it. Mm. So that's where the Mindful Village features, right? So it's not just about helping people come together to find ways to build habits that enables them to thrive and to flourish. I noticed that you, you know, worked in the corporate space as an executive coach. So a lot of your you know, clients would really be ranging from Fortune 500 MNCs to government to military. And you're really focused on the high performance bit, right? Mm-hmm. From a corporate perspective. But then today, given that, you know, you have that focus on individuals as well, I really wanted to get you on to talk about mindfulness when it comes to managing our own finances. Mm-hmm. Because I think mindfulness has been quite a buzzword in the industry for quite some time. You know, mindfulness when it comes to, you know, your own lifestyle, mindfulness when it comes to, you know, work. You know, there's, mindfulness is, is a buzzword that's being thrown around. But then when it comes to personal finance, I don't see it covered as much. Mm. And the thing is, personal finance is something that is applicable to everyone, mm. right? Whether or not you're working, you're a mom, a student who's just thinking about how to prepare yourself for the workforce, right? Personal finance is something that is, of course, is personal and because it's related to money, everybody needs to think about it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the conversations are around the tips or you know the hard facts on how to manage your personal finances things like this is the percentage you should put to savings if you're this age and this is how much you put in investments and when you're looking at investments Mm -hmm. how do you de-risk your portfolio so if you look at you know certain higher return equities and then you kind of like balance it out with bonds but when we look at the finance right personal finance there's also the softer side to it the more human side to it because like it or not 
a lot of investing is emotionally driven. There's a lot of spending that is emotionally driven, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, you know, I really wanted to get you on the show to talk a little bit about this because, you know, it's not often talked about. Sure. Uh, happy to share more, but I must disclaim that I'm not a financial advisor. So you please don't do not, need to because... <laughs> I not dispense any to buy or to sell. No, and, 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 and for benefit of doubt, this, there's nothing on this show that's to be deemed as financial advice. Sure, sure. So I, I think, of course, the context is, yes, personal finance. But I think where mindfulness really comes in and can really value add is about understanding how people make decisions, mm-hmm. right? And of course, in the context of finance, how does it impact people, their decisions? And of course, for example, their levels of stress, right? Mm. So yes, it's not just a so straightforward buy, sell, keep, right? I mean, mm. there's an emotional element to it. There's a social element to it, yes. You're absolutely right. Yes, because spending is highly linked to... I'm sure we can dig out data on the fact that people, when they're stressed, they spend more. There's Mm -hmm, binge mm -hmm. eating. You know, I used to have this colleague, like whenever she was stressed, like she would go head straight to Zara and buy clothes, right? And you can just imagine how detrimental that is for for your own pocket money or for your own salary because it's like, it's, it's, it's this cyclical thing. You're stressed by work. Yeah. Work is the one that pays you money. And then because you're stressed by work, you go and spend your salary. Yeah. And it's this cyclical thing, you know? It's a vicious cycle, right? It is, it is. It's almost like they spend to cope, yes. right? To deal yes. with the stress, right? Yep. Uh, and in some ways, having this idea that they will help reduce and even avoid the stress Mm -hmm. but the stress doesn't go away especially when they see the credit card bill uh, at that time of the month Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think it's important to understand then really it's not just about a financial decision it's actually a a stress and a coping conversation Mm -hmm. how can we equip people to make better decisions and relate better to to stress and And even the awareness mm -hmm. that you know why am I rushing to Zara to buy this piece of clothing that I might not necessarily need yeah Absolutely, right? A lot of decisions are driven by habits, right? So they've been conditioned to cope in a particular way, to see the problem in a in a particular way. So without that almost training, it's almost impossible to expect them to adapt and to shift their habitual patterns, right? So I think that's where mindfulness can play a part in enabling people to sort of notice themselves and to catch themselves that there's a habitual loop going on. Right. So oh, you know what? I realize I'm actually I could be overspending. Right. Or this may not really be necessary. I already have ten pairs of Nike shoes. I don't really need one more pair. Right. Uh, and then in that pause in that moment, I think that's where they can then create that that space to realize and empower themselves to make better decisions. Maybe they should continue to buy the Nike shoe because really it's a rare item, right? A vintage one, then they can make some money from it. Uh, but they, they may say, you know what, I'm gonna wait one more day. Right, and see if I still really need it and they may end up not buying it. And so this whole habitual loop, right, I think it's where it can be quite powerful to help people unpack and realize that uh, there's actually a lot of things happening beneath the hood behind a decision. Mm-hmm. And, and you laden that with stress, with, with economic, social, family, personal context and, and, and triggers, right? Mm-hmm. So it's quite a, quite a busy environment, if you will, internally. Yes. Yes. So let's say if I were to come to you as a client and say, hey, you know, honey, like, you know, I, I've i heard about the work that you guys are doing with regards to sort of like resetting, you know, habitual loops mm-hmm. and, you know, cutting out like maybe like bad habits. So let's say if I come to you and I say that, you know, I have, I'm not able to control my expenses and a lot of it is really fueled by emotion. Mm-hmm. And how would that interaction start with you? 
so I think that conversation will begin by understanding what you really want to get out from the work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, what, what people don't actually realize is actually the work of mindfulness can be quite difficult mm. because in a way we are working with habits, right? Or reconditioning habits mm. and that can be an uncomfortable process. Mm. Uh, so eat less or look at different things and view things differently. And so there needs to be an understanding of what this journey would entail and some people may not be able to commit or they expect this to be a quick fix. Uh, mm. right? So I think that, that structuring and uh, the knowledge and the understanding of what, what entails the process is important. Right. And then I, I frame it in a way that this is actually building a muscle. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so that muscle, as you know, uh, in fitness, you get get stronger when you practice you go to the gym you yes. exercise yes. You, you don't if you don't exercise the muscle will not get stronger and it certainly doesn't get uh, stronger overnight yes. it can be 3 months 4 months right or even years if you're talking about for example a domain like calisthenics you want to get a planche you're not going to be able to get that in a, in a few months absolutely and, and so that's that reconditioning because we also live in a day and age where everything is a quick fix. You need shortcuts. You want to hack for performance, right? But some things you can't force. And of course, some people may adapt faster. When it comes to the real inner work, right? I don't think there are any shortcuts. Ah. Mm. So understanding that and then getting into the the nitty-gritty, which is to to practice mindfulness through various forms of exercises, ah, mm. right? And using that to build that muscle to bring awareness to their daily habits, their routines, and certainly even their spending patterns. Uh, and then we can process that mm. and help them understand what is going through. And then we can slowly empower them to make different decisions. Got it. Okay. You know, the first example I'm talking about, you know, in a way like scarcity, right? Where let's say people overspend and then it sort of like hits them in, in the form of credit card bills. And if they are rolling up credit card debt, that would be even worse. Mm. So that's from a scarcity perspective. But then we look at the other side of the spectrum, right? You know, we certainly also have come across people who complain about raking in a tidy six-figure sum every year. And it's clear that for somebody who's earning less than money than that, the first question is, people often think that money is a solution to a lot of things. So, mm. you know, if you have enough money, a lot of things will be solved. But then when you look at that situation where the person clearly is, you know, earning enough or has enough, but then it doesn't give them the joy that they were looking for. Mm. So that's another exercise when it comes to mindfulness, right? Because it's very clear that money is hardly the solution to fulfillment in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how would you then tackle, you know, that side of it? I think one thing that could be useful is to helping them understand what, money represents to them, right? Whether it's power, ego, social status, right? And having them really realize that those are the drivers and what it really represents. And I think helping them connect the dots in itself will be quite a powerful process. Mm -hmm. So helping them realize that and then perhaps helping them to discover, right, what else is really important to them. Right, So it could be a relationship, it could be a family, it could be a, a way of life and seeing if they have that ability and the intention to live their lives honouring that, that intention or that value system. And that takes away that focus from the money, right? Because as you say, uh, it represents something else that they want, but actually perhaps that thing could be spent by volunteering in the old folks' uh, home, right? Or it could be mentoring younger kids, so yeah so it's that journey of discovery right it's not so prescriptive as to really help helping them understand yep. who they are and what do they really want you see the longest journey is not is, is between the two two ears uh. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. I mean the brain is a complex organ right? I think I saw the statistic I mean I knew this before like, but then our, our brain takes up less than 5% of our body weight mm-hmm. but in terms of the 
energy that consumption, it consumes yeah. is 20 percent mm-hmm. more or less, right? And mm-hmm. and of course, you know, with regards to like science and we really haven't discovered the depths of what our brain is fully capable of. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. Whatever is going on in people's minds is very hard to navigate. Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned that, you know, whenever working with clients, right, it also means that they need to be very open with sharing with you their almost innermost thoughts, mm. right? And how do you get that going? So yes, the work then is about gaining the person's trust, mm. right? And having them realize that they can be comfortable and they can be honest mm-hmm. and they can be really themselves, right? Mm. And I think sometimes that is the work, right? Uh, we have so many expectations we have of ourselves that we sometimes forget who we really are, what we really stand for. And so the work of enabling them to, to have their voice uh, express themselves is quite powerful and sometimes when they do that they cry because they realize they have not been living they have not been themselves right they've been so critical of the expectations that society or family or friends have put on them that's one of the key things and in fact that would be the work right so sometimes we think of it as outcomes actually the work is really being uh, with the person and enabling creating that space and the condition for them to be themselves mm. and what themselves is that is the work yeah you know, that is a long and very focused kind of inner discovery journey, if you will. That's what I taught too. So in the MBSR program, which is an eight-week journey, it's amazing what shows up when we get people to practice mindful exercises together. Mm-hmm. And you're not even digging for anything in that sense, right? Mm. You're just asking them to sit, for example, or walk or move with that consciousness, right? And sometimes it's the speakers are actually blaring, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I need help. I need to slow down. I don't want this. Uh, but when they slow down, they start to listen to the speakers, right? And they realize that these are the things that I need to pay a bit more attention to. It's very interesting, as you say, humans have this self-healing property right? and the, 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 the ability. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like just getting out of the way and allowing them to recalibrate and attune to themselves. Mm. Yeah. Got it. With regards to let's say, sufficiency of wealth, right? I think, you know, people often say there's never enough money, right? But in the Singaporean context, we actually have researchers, you know, like the the key findings from the 2019 study done by, you know, researchers from NUS and NTU, where they're looking at 196 participants over 24 focus groups using the minimum income standard method, where they actually came up with, you know, actual numbers on like how much everyone needs so I'll just give a few data points, right? So two parents with two children, they need $6,426 a month. Single parent with one child, 3218 Single elderly person needs $1,421 a month. So bear with me here. So we've also seen the FIRE movement, which also advocates the general rule of 25 times of annual expenses. If you have that amount, then that would be constituted as you have FIRED. Right, But what I found interesting and why I wanted to raise this in this interview with you is this thought experiment where it was done by Brad Stollery. It was a thought experiment which says that suppose you are one of five people who have been selected by a philanthropist to participate in a contest and you have equal debt levels, cost of livings, you know, similar situations, same age, all healthy, same number of children all living moderately low-risk lifestyles. And privately, they give each of these five people a blank check and ask this question where you write on this check, how much money would you need to be paid here and now to retire today 
and not receive another dollar of income for the rest of your life. But the catch is that whoever writes the lowest amount will get paid that sum and the four of the others will get nothing. And this thought experiment is interesting because it sort of eliminates that bit of greed. Because people can request the sky, but then they know that if they're going to request so much, right, they're not going to be able to get it. And I think that this thought experiment is interesting because it kind of it kind of forces you to be mindful about what you truly, truly need. As opposed to, you know, thinking about, you know, I could buy a yacht and like sail off somewhere or I could buy, you know, some mansion or some bungalow in Singapore. And, you know, it really forces you to cut out the, nat- the, the natural impulse to aim upward. So when it comes to, you know, the exercises that you have, you know, and getting people to be mindful, would it be similar, you know, kind of cutting the impulse for people to aim upward or is different? Because you come from a background of, let's say, like performance in, you know, like for competitive sports. And for that, you're always aiming upward, isn't it? Well, yes and no, actually. So in the context of, say, finance, right, there's always this future forward-looking uh, prospect, right? How to make more in the future. If I do this now, I'll get times 10 in five years' time, right? Or double my assets. One of the fundamental problems with that is if we overdo it, right? We will never be able to live in the present, mm. right? And we are almost like just living in the future, but the future has not happened yet, mm-hmm. right? So for example, well, I realized that I need to work three jobs just to buy the private condo in five years' time. But that compromises my present quality of life, mm. right? And I think there's a tension there. And so if we're always living in the future, are we actually living in the present, right? And so bringing that realization and that consciousness and of course having that, that discussion and that decision on, okay, what are your choices, mm. right? You can choose, yes, you want to live in the future or you can choose to find that balance, right? Not to say that future focus is, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But of course, if you... Uh, do or you overdo it, then it becomes a problem, right? Of course, then if you also want to live in the present, I'll just spend whatever I can. That may not be so prudent in some contexts as well, right? So finding that balance by bringing that that awareness into it and what are the drivers, uh, right? And and at the end of the day, it's also about the quality of life now. You're only present now. You're not. You don't live in the future. Oh, we can't tell. Yeah, what's you can't even control what's going. Yes. Absolutely right. And and a lot of those decision making is framed by stressors. Mm-hmm. right uh, social expectations I need to buy a house I need to move out I need to make this amount of money etc uh, etc et right? but actually you know what how about right now right I just want to have a meal I can enjoy my meal with my husband with my daughter with my kids with my friends with my family right that's the most important thing and that's something money cannot buy yes yeah experiences and time mm-hmm. especially yes. Great. And then for listeners who want to speak more to you and the work that you're doing in the Mindful Village, how can they find you? I mean, I'll put in the socials, the links in the okay, show notes. Sure. But how can they find you? Well, we, are all, we have our social media handles and website, uh, www.themindfulvillage.co. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and uh, we run weekly activities. Uh, all are welcome. Uh, whether it's the weekly mindful exercises or the the we, we have this new thing called mindful jalan mm. right around the CBD area or my, mindful makan in Singapore we, okay. we cannot do without that mm. yeah and so it's like bringing people together uh, focusing on developing habits that will help us thrive and re-energize ourselves got it and you're running two cohorts of MBSR right in the yes. upcoming months yeah so at the end of May we are running so it's a global community so I'm going to be running one uh, based on Singapore time mm-hmm. uh, and totally 
Tony, our Australian-based instructor, will be running another cohort uh, out from the Australian time zone. Mm. But anybody, because this is a global community, so anybody, if the timing fits, are welcome to join. And these are all uh, virtual online programs. Mm. Cool. All right. Then I'll include in the show notes, you know, all the various links on where our listeners can find you. But otherwise, thank you so much for being on the show. I think it's not often that people talk about mindfulness when it comes to managing our own finances. Mm -hmm. So it's great to actually have that softer angle to it. So I really appreciate having you on the show. And thank you so much, Honey, for being with us today. Thank you, Jonas. Thank you so much. And with that, we've come to the end of today's show. And we'll see you the next time. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on MeListen or Apple Podcasts, or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.